I'm Chris Chang and Phillips, and this is Let's Find Out, a monthly podcast about the history of Edmonton, Alberta, or Umskwichi with Skygun on Treaty 6 territory. Let's Find Out is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Each episode, we take questions from curious Edmontonians about local history, then we find out the answers together. Long time no see? Yeah, long time no see. podcast again? Yeah. And in this episode, you'll hear some alarm bells going off. Susan Paget from our High Level Bridge episode, is back with another question. <laughs> this time, it's one she posted on a website called Taproot Edmonton that we're partnering with. And figuring out the answer, meant a trip to Edmonton's Fire Station 1. Reason for this knowledge. <laughs> knowledge. Knowledge. This one is a story about how we keep people safe as we change from one type of city to another. A city that, well, is getting taller. Uh, well, I uh, had a friend who was, her apartment uh, was on Jasper, and that was on fire, I think it was last year, early last year, on Jasper Avenue, and, uh, and it's not a very tall building, but I noticed that, you know, it didn't look like the ladders could reach very high, or, you know, so I just wondered what happens if in one of these new, taller buildings that we're getting, if, if you know, what should I do if I'm in one? And what does the fire department, what do they have to do differently? Was your friend okay? Oh, yeah. She was all right. Um, unfortunately, I think one of the people in that building did die. So, oh, yeah. bad. Which building was that? Um, I can't remember the name of it. It was the red brick one on Jasper Ave across from that Marcos Pizzeria. Was it like above on the rocks? Is that? I think so, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was just wondering with all the... Uh, new buildings that we're having you know there's lots proposed over 60 stories high 80 stories high how does this affect the fire department if there's a a building fire at 60 stories in the air if you live in edmonton you've probably noticed our skyline has suddenly shot way up over the past few years and it has to do with an airport that doesn't exist anymore our nickname these days is yeg after the code for the edmonton international airport just south of the city But for almost a century, we also had a YXD, the city center slash Blatchford Airport, just north of downtown. And all the air traffic flying in and out put a cap on how big our buildings could get downtown because, you know, nobody wanted an airplane scraping off the top of Manulife Place. When the city closed it in 2013, that ceiling got lifted too. I think this is an interesting question too because I I just, I love seeing the little red lights on top of the buildings downtown. I never used to know what they were for they're there to like tell planes where the building is right that's right yeah for the aircraft that's correct and now you see these buildings going up like way above where those red lights used to be <laughs> as, since the airport closed downtown now Edmonton's downtown is just like shooting way up and now we have the new tower going up that's supposed to be like the tallest building west of Toronto right um yeah I would imagine that this leads to some new challenges yeah most definitely um... that's Dave Oldham from the Edmonton Fire Rescue Service Right, so we, uh, we have... Sorry, would you mind introducing yourself? <laughs> okay, my name is Dave Oldham. I am the Chief Training Officer for the Edmonton Fire Department. And we're meeting at Fire Department 1, is that what this is? Fire Station 1? That's right, Headquarters Fire Department, Station 1. Yeah. Um, what's your role? So I, uh, I'm in charge of the Training Academy for the Fire Department. So it is actually located on 156th Street between 104th and 105th. 
And then we also have a practical training facility on the far west end of the city. So I have uh, 17 people that work in the training academy as instructors, and then we have the admin staff as well. Dave's in charge of making sure all 1,100 firefighters in the city are properly trained. They actually have a facility in the city with sets and props that look like real kitchens and offices and basements and bedrooms, and they light it all up to simulate fires. So it all runs off of propane, but we simulate uh, different scenarios. We have a residential side, commercial side, and we have props that light up that look like beds, kitchens, uh, we have desks and all that stuff, and they all light up with their propane. Dave was a firefighter for 28 years before he took over as chief training officer. Do you feel like you fully appreciated how much work was going on behind the scenes when you were on the front lines? Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's been a learning curve, There's, that's for sure. What got you into the fire service? Uh, I had worked up uh, in the Arctic for a bit, and I just came, I, I think it was for Petro Canada I was working for at that time, and when we came back, uh, they had shut it down up there, so I was looking for a career choice, and I talked to a few people that uh, had been firemen, and uh, it's just something that interested me. It's a bit of a challenge to get on, though not very many people are successful the first time. It usually takes a minimum of, well, I shouldn't say a minimum, some people are, are successful, but I'd say probably on average it takes about three times to apply. What's your story of getting in? It was three times, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you mind if I ask, like, what, what did you have to, like, level up to get in the, that third time? For me, mostly it was physical fitness. I had never worked out a day in my life when I, before I tried on for the fire department. So, I mean, I was, I think, swimming a mile every morning, running five miles every day, and then trying to go to a gym, which I never had any experience in. But it took a while, that's for sure. Huh. So... First, he tried to reassure Susan about the building her friend was in. So as far as your friend goes or anything, so there, any building has a fire safety plan, and we encourage everyone to know that plan. Um, I believe it's in the code that every high-rise, uh, residential or whatever, must review that with their tenants once a year. So it would be good for the per, anybody that's listening that lives in a, building, a residential building like that, talk to their management company and find out when those, those are. Um, each one is done differently. Like each one, each building will have its own plan um, with the specifics of that building, right? Mm -hmm. So the new high rises, the ones like the 80 stories that are going up, they are uh, they'll have a safety plan designed for them. And what happens is our fire engineer here he meets with the builders and the city, and that goes all into the architectural, right? So he meets with the architects all the time, and they make sure. They have a plan and, and all the equipment and the space and facilities to be able to achieve that plan, right? The Deputy Fire Chief of Public Safety, Russell Kroom, later told us there are actually three fire engineers on staff doing this kind of planning today. But yeah, Dave said the airport closing has meant some big changes for their department. Uh, there are differences uh, with the new with the new high rise. One of the problems is getting our people and water up to those levels, right? So um, with, the City of Edmonton has purchased uh, new fire trucks. Our old ones had reached their life cycle anyway, so we were just replacing, but we had to build the new pumps with a, it's called a two-stage pump, so we can increase the pressure to reach that high. What happens when you try to pump water uphill for 80 stories, it's called static or head pressure, and the pressure pushing back down the pipe from just all the water creates too much pressure in the lower floors, right? So uh, we, we purchased new pumps to help with that. Uh, all the new high-rises will have big fire pumps in them, so they, that'll supply the water, and they have a backup system. Usually there's a second pump. Sometimes there'll be one on this part way up the building because the, 
if they pressure to reach the pressure at the top of the floor, the pressure is going to be way too great at the bottom. So they'll push it up part way and then they'll have another pump that takes over from there. Yeah, so you want to make sure you know your fire safety plan. Um, normally, stairwells is the main way to evacuate people. However, with these new high rises, we have to take into consideration the stairwells, and especially in a residential uh, building, couldn't handle everybody at once. So a lot of the new buildings, what they're doing is they'll have uh, announce, uh, a PA system in there and they will announce which floors to evacuate. Oh. So if there's a fire on, say, the 65th floor, they would probably, de depending on their safety plan, they would probably evacuate the 54th, 65th, and 66th floor to get the people in immediate danger out of there. And then once, uh, then they would systematically evacuate the rest of the building. But you can just imagine, I mean, I'm not sure how many people one of these buildings would hold. If you put them all in the stairwell at the same time, that yeah. would be a problem, right? In your experience, does that work? Do people just panic and they're like, whatever, I just got to get out? Yeah, most definitely. That always happens. People are not willing to wait, right? But uh, I think the biggest thing is be informed of the plan. If you don't know the plan, that's, of course, what you're going to do. I mean, there are times when we actually shelter people in place. You know, we'll say, stay in your suite. We'll come get your... Well, you know that's the best place to be so the stairwells in these new buildings are pressurized so they're kind of a safe zone once you're in there you should be safe because it if you if you pressurize a stairwell well then if somebody opens a door to enter the stairwell the smoke won't come in right pressurized meaning the air is higher pressure in there than outside that's correct yeah so if the if the pressure in the stairwell is greater than when they open the door the smoke won't come in the only problem is if people leave doors open which happens all the time in fires and we leave two or three doors open, then the pressure can't maintain that positive effect, right? So the biggest thing in fires is if you leave a room or a hallway or something, always close the door behind you because that stops the migration of the smoke and sometimes we're controlling the pressure, right? I had no idea. That's why all those doors say keep this door closed. <laughs> oh, well, well, I mean, mainly they say keep it closed in a non-emergency event because that is just if there is an emergency, it stops the smoke from migrating through the building, right? And that's one of our biggest problems is to control the smoke and keep uh, the atmosphere as, as good as possible where in the places where the people are. Dave said they've actually created a high-rise committee to figure out how to deal with these new challenges posed by the super tall buildings, with folks who work in hazardous materials and dispatch, and of course, their fire prevention officers around there too. I did some poking around to find out how long we've had skyscrapers to worry about in the city, and I found a couple articles about buildings that seem almost quaint now. Back in 1911, there was an edition of a column called Jasper's Notebook in the Saturday News that mused about the costs and benefits of living high up in the air. The city commissioners have recommended that the construction of no buildings higher than six stories be allowed, the author wrote. Just what harm a tall building does is not clear, provided that danger from an outbreak of fire in its upper stories is guarded against. Life in the top of a skyscraper is much pleasanter in many ways than close to the ground. The air is purer. One does not need to be a member of the fly swatting brigade. Your outlook, provided your window is in the right place, comes to be a broad one as compared to that of the man down on the pavement. The other's only worry about an impending air of high-rises was that our streets were too narrow to accommodate all the people in these six-story-plus buildings. But by 1912, plans were already in place for a 10-story high-rise on Jasper. And now we're pushing 66 stories. In a minute, Dave brings me to some realizations about my own home. But first, Let's Find Out is supported by the Edmonton Community Foundation, makers of the Rad Well Endowed podcast. 
Hello, I'm Elizabeth Bonkink. I'm Andrew Paul. And we're the hosts of the Well Endowed Podcast. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation, or ECF as we call it. ECF provides grants to charities through the endowment funds we create and manage with our donors. Hence the title of our show, The Well Endowed Podcast. Every month, we bring you a collection of stories and interviews with fascinating guests who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. Through these stories, we look at the space where endowments intersect with your communities. So if you're interested in the people and issues impacting your community, check out thewellendowedpodcast.com. The September episode of the Well Endowed Podcast will be out right away, so subscribe now to make sure you don't miss it. Let's Find Out is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV. One of my favorite new podcasts in the network is Blue in the Face, made by Chris Urosaki down in Calgary. In his most recent episode, he dug his hoofs under the snow to learn more about the reintroduction of bison to Banff National Park. And he spoke to Leroy Littlebear, a scientist and educator down at the University of Lethbridge, who's been working on getting bison back into the mountains for years. Chris is a really enthusiastic and curious interviewer. Check out Blue in the Face on your favorite podcast catcher. Okay, back to the fire station. Like, depending on the call, do your firefighters bring everything, or like, do they know, okay, that building, that site, we got to bring this equipment with us this time? Right. So we do do pre-incident plans. So the firefighters and their captains go out to the go out to these buildings, and they, if it's in your district, you you go out and you look at it and you decide what kind of obstacles are we going to have if we have a fire here. So, you know, if it's a a senior's home, you know, we have residents that are going to need assistance getting out and stuff like that. So they look at the whole thing and then they actually they draw it up on a uh, we call it a PIP, a pre-incident plan form, and then they can share that. It goes in the book and any hall any hall in that area will get that and so when they go respond to this call they can quickly go through it and see what their challenges are um as far as uh they also everybody has district familiarization they drive around they look at these buildings if they see they don't have to do a full out pip but they just go into the building and check it out right and so they are quite aware of what's in their area and they plan it accordingly for it so if you live in an apartment building you're building has likely been scoped out for what might happen? Most likely, and we also respond to other events too. It's not always fire events. We respond to medical aids and and uh, service calls. You know, somebody has just has an issue, their sprinkler head went off or whatever. So we're in these buildings all the time, so we're always keeping our eye out, right? I live in a house. Has somebody likely like driven slowly past my house and been like, that's going to burn? <laughs> well, I'm sure there's been a truck down your street once or twice before, but I don't, it's your house specifically, no, but... It's good to know that hopefully you have a uh, fire safety plan for your house. We don't. <laughs> I guess that's on the to-do list. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's always encouraged. We have our safety week here in Edmonton, and that's what we encourage people to make sure they get together with their children and everything and make sure you have a plan for your own home as well. Susan, help me out. Do you have one? I live in an apartment. Um, I have actually thought about what I would do in a fire. Oh? <laughs> Um, so if I'm sleeping, I have a bedroom window. Out the bedroom window, I will try to go. <laughs> I'm only like a floor and a half above the ground, so it's easy. Or out on the balcony. Um, somebody actually pulled the fire alarm in my building not too long ago, so we did have firemen out there pretty quick, checking out, making sure everything was safe. So, 
I thought of this whole question as like something at a distance from me that had no impact on my life since I don't <laughs> live in a super tall building, but um, I guess I have work to do. <laughs> yes, like I say, everybody should have one. You know, we I have three children myself, and we've always had a plan, even just a, a muster point. So everybody in the building knows where to meet, right? Because then, you know, if you if you can only get out one window, like you, like Susan says, then if you're in a in a household, you can meet at that muster point and make sure everybody's out, right? Because the first thing we're going to ask you when we get there is everybody out of the building, mm. and so it's always nice if you know, and then we you'll probably know about where that person. If it's in the middle of the night, you'll know where little Johnny was sleeping or whatever, and you can give his directions on where they might be. Um, okay, I have a question. Um, the the airport closing downtown has led to this like new era of two super tall buildings downtown in Edmonton. Um, like, were we already on the cusp of uh, becoming a two pump, two stage pump city? Was the Blatchford Airport closing something that you guys knew would be significant for your work before it happened? Well, for your question on the two-stage pumps, the oral pumps were adequate for the buildings we had. So, yes, it is a, de a direct result of these new buildings that are causing us to go that way. Um, years ago, we did have two-stage pumps, didn't have the capability they have now. But it's nothing new to the fire service, and they're doing this for all kinds of cities around North America, right? So it was not, it was not a special request. It's just something we hadn't had to advance with. The airport is definitely the result of it. I mean, there was limitations on the height of a building before it closed. So now that the impetus first, yeah, that's definitely had a, an effect. Hmm. Um, does does this give us more cachet when you meet with like fire departments from other cities? Like, yeah, now we're one of them. Well, we did uh, in preparation for this. We did have a high rise symposium last year. And so we had people from mostly Canada. We'd have some from the States here too and discuss the effects of uh, fires in high-rise buildings and how to deal with them, as well as a lot of it was on uh, fire prevention and uh, building planning and stuff like that. So, yeah, there, we had people here to discuss this, so we've been planning on this for a while. Do you feel more reassured for your friend? Yes, yeah, yeah. And I also have other friends who are just... Uh, I had another friend who was in a fire, uh, in her had a fire in her building too, and... She actually has quite a fear of fire even before that, so. But hopefully they can be reassured, yeah. And they say if someone is feels trapped, like they can't get out or they need assistance or whatever, you can always phone 911 and they will, ident they will notify the ca captain on scene and let them know that we have a resident, say, in a wheelchair or something with nobody to assist them. They will give them the sweet number and we'll make sure that person gets out. So. Okay. Thanks, Dave. You bet. So, Susan, this was your second time on Let's Find Out. Yes. How, how did you find this particular research experience? Um, well, it was a lot more uplifting than our last one. Um, it was very interesting to find out we have three fire engineers. I had no idea that the fire department works so closely with architects even before they're building a, a new building. That was interesting. Yeah, I just, I'm just fascinated that we've like made a, a measurable transition from one type of city to another, going from like a one-stage pump to a two-stage pump city. Yes, all because the uh, old airport got shut down, and we can now build taller buildings. <laughs> cool. Thank you for uh, coming along on another finding out journey. 
Uh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And for posting your question on Taproot. Appreciate that. Yes, everyone should go on Taproot and post questions and uh, read the great content they have. Thanks for listening to Let's Find Out. I want to know what you think. Drop me a line at chris at letsfindoutpodcast.com. We recently switched podcast hosts, so this is the last episode we'll be posting on SoundCloud, but you can find us in virtually every other podcast app you can think of. We're even on Spotify now, and also at letsfindoutpodcast.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram under Let's Find Out Podcast. Okay, thank you, Time. Thank you to Susan Padgett, Dave Oldham, Maya Filipovic, and Russell Kroom. Thanks to you, Taproot Edmonton, for supporting this podcast. If you want to become a member or sign up for updates like Taproot's Tech Roundup, you can head online to taprootedmonton.ca. Thanks to everyone who's been supporting this podcast, especially Finn. Original music for this podcast is by the blazingly lovely human being, Doug Hoyer. Artwork for our logo by Andrea Hergy at Mount Pioneer Design. All right, that's it for this month. Until next time, keep your questions coming. <laughs>